Notice that it's easier to make a baby cry than it is to make them laugh. Did you ever notice this? It's, you know how hard we work at making babies laugh, right? <laughs> All that stuff. And then finally they give a little giggle and we've accomplished this great thing. It's harder to do that than to make them cry. A lot of cases, all I got to do to make a baby cry is show up. There's something about this face that goes, Gah! Yeah, sometimes they get afraid and happy in the same moment. Have you ever noticed that? I know with my grandkids, I did it with my kids too, and now I'm even more aggressive with my grandkids because I don't care if I mess them up. I don't have to live with them. So... I do this thing with my grandkids where they're terrified and hysterically happy at the same time where I get down on the floor and they see me and they know I'm going to chase them and, and they start to run and I go, come back here, come back here, come back here. And there's something about that voice that terrifies them and they go, Aah! it's like this mixture of fear and happiness all in the same moment. It was probably just the opposite with the shepherds. Probably harder to make them afraid than it was to make them laugh. I mean, the dangers that they regularly faced with predators, marauders, just being out in the dark in the wilderness doing their job, I would think would have desensitized them to a lot of normal fears. They just got over it. And I think it would have been easy for those guys to laugh after doing what they did all day and they would come together and bring their flocks together and they would meet as a group and take turns taking watch over their flocks while some slept, while some sat around the campfire. I'm pretty sure they were pretty good at telling the jokes of the day. Well, as we come to the fourth Sunday of Advent today and as we look to the final element of this transformational blessing of Jesus... In his first coming, we're going to use the shepherds as our base of operations here um, to see how the arrival of Jesus Christ transformed them from fear to joy. So turn in your Bibles, if you have them, to Luke chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at verses 8 through 20. As we look through this, I, I, I love the progression the shepherds passed through during the experience that they had. They started in one place and ended up in quite a different place. In verse 8, it it says that they started, they were just minding their own business. It says, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. They were doing what shepherds do. They were at work. They were just out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks, and it was night. So nighttime is like, suggested was a time when the flocks would have been brought together and there would be a number of shepherds from different flocks who were gathered together and they were just doing what they did the night before and the night before and the night before and the night before. Who can relate? They were just doing what they were doing. And then the next part of their progression is that they were terrified Verse 9, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were what? What does it say? Terrified, or as Charlie Brown says, or Linus, sore afraid, right? That's what the King James says, they were sore afraid. I don't know how afraid you have to be to be sore. 
sounded better in my head, but they were terrified. They were absolutely terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid. Easier said than done. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He's Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared. This didn't help their terror. First there was one. Now there was a great company. We don't know how many. But a great company appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to to men on whom his favor rests. And so they went from minding their own business to sudden terror. Why? Because they encountered God. They encountered an agent of God that brought them to a whole new place than they'd ever been before. To this point, they were shepherds. They were doing what shepherds do. They were going to work. They were doing their thing. And then God broke in. And they were terrified. So after being terrified, the next step in their journey, this progression, is they they investigated. It says, verse 15, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, heaven, uh, the shepherds said to one another, well, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Let's check this out. Investigate it. Did we really just see and hear everything that we just saw, think we just saw and heard? How many of you have been there? You know, something's happened. Some of you have given me that look like, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's like, when it happens... It's so amazing, it's so overwhelming, it's so real. And then you just get a step away from it and go, did that really happen? Because we don't have a frame of reference for that, really, on a day-to-day basis. And so it's like, did that, did, that, did that thing really just happen? So what did they do? They checked it out. And so verse 16 says, so they hurried off. They didn't mess around. They didn't meditate on it. They didn't hole up in a monastery to think about it. They didn't... They didn't withdraw. It says they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. They went to see if what this thing that was said was true. And then the the last step in this progression is that they were rejoicing. And when they had seen him, that makes all the difference. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed. So they're, they're, they're up. If, if they were amazed, they were passionate about this expression. They're passionate about this expression. Why? Because they had just seen angels. They had just heard angels. And they had just seen Christ. They had just encountered Christ. And so they're rejoicing. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherd said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned. Listen to this rejoicing glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. It's not a complicated progression, is it? It might even be a familiar one. You're minding your own business. You think you got things pretty well sorted out. All the pieces of your life are in place. And then a divine interruption comes. Anybody know what I'm talking about? But there's a transformation in these shepherds from a place of fear to a place of joy. And it's part of what Christ has come to do in our lives. As we think about this, this third Sunday of Advent, or fourth Sunday of Advent, uh, it's part of what Christ came to do in our lives, to transform us from fear to joy. 
Because I believe that it's the natural human response to be afraid of God. Left in our sinful state, it's a normal human response to be afraid of God. You remember after Adam and Eve sinned, and then God came to the garden and called out for them? Do you remember what they said? They said, we heard you were here, and we were afraid, so we hid. So the normal response in the unredeemed heart is to be afraid of God. I mean, not in like a respectful, reverential worship fear, but in a sense of personal terror. Because it's broken. The relationship is broken. Something has to happen. A transformation has to occur from our normal, sinful generation state of fear into something else. It's normal. It's, it's, it's normal to get a little afraid inside just thinking about God if you haven't yet come to Christ or if you're not a good place, in a good place in your walk. It's normal just to, just to have a sense of fear. I mean, if not for Christ, we're completely uncovered, right? If not for Jesus Christ in our lives, we're presenting ourselves to God uncovered in all of our glorious weaknesses, failures, unredeemed sin. And that's a terrifying thing. Yet, the Bible says that the consistent experience of joy in our lives, of this thing called joy, is meant to be a distinguishing mark of a Christian. This thing called joy. It should be so easy for us to sing joy to the world which was not written as a Christmas song, you realize that. It was written as a Christian hymn and has just been really embraced during the Christmas season. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. <laughs> Earth receiver king. Everything changes. And so this thing called joy, this transformation from fear to joy is meant to be a distinguishing mark really in the life of every believer. Jesus said this to his disciples. He was talking to them. And then he summarized by saying this in John 15, 11, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So this, whatever this joy is, we don't know what this joy is yet. Just pretend you don't know what joy is yet, okay? So whatever this joy thing is, is Jesus said the reason that he came was to give us his joy and that in receiving his joy, then our joy would be complete. So that joy is part of the completion of the Christian character. That joy is meant to be a consistent characteristic in the life of every believer. So what's your question? Go ahead, I dare you to ask me, so what is joy, Tom? You know, that's pretty good. I mean, uh, are we just talking about a pervading sense of happiness? Is that what we're talking about? Our joy and happiness? They're not necessarily the same thing, are they? At all. Happiness is a state of emotion. I mean, I like being happy, yeah? Life seems more fun and easier when it's happy. But that's a state of emotion 
that is driven by circumstance. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. The Bible says in Galatians 5, For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and then it goes on with the rest. Joy is not an emotional thing. Joy is a state of being by abiding in the Spirit. Happiness is emotional. Joy is spiritual. Happiness is dependent upon pleasant circumstances. Joy exists at a fundamentally deeper than circumstantial level in us. I'm going to give you my own definition of joy, never before heard in the universe. I'll also say that at the 11 o'clock service if anyone comes. Joy is the internal security that comes from the abiding sense of assurance that God is always in control. That's the joy. Have you heard of eternal security? Don't you just love it the way people argue about eternal security? I mean, what's the, what would you rather have, eternal insecurity? Of course we're eternally secure in Christ. But this is internal security. There's a deeper than circumstantial experience of internal security that comes from the abiding sense of assurance abiding it's un, it's an unwavering sense of assurance that God is always in control that's how i think of the spiritual fruit of joy is it something deeper than circumstantial It's something that is unaffected by my happiness. It is deeply internal. You can't touch that. Because it's born of the Spirit of God inside of us. So the more we abide in the Spirit, when Jesus said, if any man abides in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, that if we abide in the Lord as we see to the things of how we connect with God through His Son, Jesus, as we invite the Holy Spirit to come and to characterize our lives and to shape us at the deepest level, then love will come and joy will come. That deep internal Security that comes from the abiding sense of assurance that God is always in control. It produces a kind of illogical confidence. You know what I mean? It's illogical sometimes. Just to be so confident. That's joy. Because it's unaffected by circumstances. You may be having a time in your life where it doesn't make logical sense to have this thing called joy. But it does because it's unaffected by what's going on. It's only affected by how well you're abiding in the Spirit. Does that make sense? Because it's a fruit of the Spirit. And joy is remarkably more durable than happiness. You know, it's said that that the Christians of the first century were often heard to be singing 
as they went into the arena to be executed by the Romans. They were singing. They knew exactly what was going to happen. They were going to be mercilessly killed. And they were singing. Do you reckon they were happy? I don't think so at all. They weren't singing out of happiness. They were singing out of joy. That internal sense, a deep abiding internal sense of security that even in this march, God was in control and nobody could change that. That's joy. That's joy. You can hurt me, but you can't kill me. Right? You can hurt me. You can make me feel bad. You can take away my happiness. My happiness is in your hands. But my joy is not. My joy is in the hand of the Lord. It's deeper. In the Beatitudes, Jesus said crazy things, didn't he? Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are... Is that messed up? Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed? Does that mean happier are those who mourn? The Greek word is makarios. Which means blessed. Blessed. Why are you blessed in your state of mourning? It's because those circumstances have come that have caused you to feel sad. Even those circumstances cannot rob you of the deep abiding sense of joy of knowing that God is in control. Yesterday, right here, we laid our friend Dan Shrout to rest. Three weeks ago, he was sitting over there. It was sad. It was very sad. The circumstances made us cry. But man, there was joy. There was joy in the celebration that our brother is with Jesus in heaven. There was joy in the celebration that he came here for the first time because of a picnic that we were having outside called Family Reunion, and his wife couldn't get him to come to church, but he said, okay, I'll go to the picnic. There was joy because he used to sit right there. For months he sat there and listened and he cocked his head and he goes, is this stuff for real? There was joy because on one day I remember he came up to one of our prayer ministry people and he asked Jesus Christ to come into his life. There was joy because on a day I lowered him into those waters of baptism. There was joy because he went through discipleship training. There was joy because he formed relationships with many of you. There was joy Because in spite of the fact that the circumstances made us sad, we knew that he was in the hands of the Lord and that nothing had escaped the Lord's sight. And his family felt the same way. Blessed are those who mourn. The New Testament writers say the strangest thing. They say that we should consider it pure joy when we are counted worthy to participate in the sufferings of Christ. That's really counterintuitive in our age, isn't it? 
Because our age is so committed to comfort and happiness. And the Bible says we should consider it joy, not happiness, that we participate in the sufferings of Christ, but something better, something different. This thing called joy of Jesus himself. It says that Jesus, for the joy set before him in the book of Hebrews, that for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. Was Jesus happy going to the cross? Have you read this Bible thing? That he went to the garden and said, Really? And that he sweat great drops of blood? Really, Father? But for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame for something better than happiness. <laughs> joy is profoundly deeper than happiness. And because of that, it produces some strange pairings that I want you to think about. I'm going to give you a quiz right now, okay? Those of you with outlines have that quiz in front of you. You may sharpen your pencil. You're welcome. You're feeling really respected now. Not only is there an outline, but there's a test. This is just how you roll, Joni. Uh, not to mention any names, but I want to, it's a true or false quiz. Don't talk, because I don't want any cheating. I don't want any looking on any of those papers. True or false quiz. I'm going to put some pairings up there, and you tell me if they can live together. Joy and gladness. Yeah, thank you for not calling out the answer. I was sure somebody was, ah! Nope. Joy and trials. True or false? Don't say. Joy and sickness. Joy and persecution. Joy and failure. Joy and poverty. Joy and depression. And finally, joy and hopelessness. Have you made your answers? Okay, pass your paper to your neighbor. Let them correct it. I don't trust you. The answers are true, 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 false. Did you get that? Anybody get 100? Good job. <laughs> Joni, all right, perfect. <laughs> you may go. That old roll can go. <laughs> Joy and gladness, of course, they can live together. That's our natural, that's our default. Joy and trials? James said, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. That's right out of the book. <laughs> joy and sickness? Can we be sick, terminally ill, struggling with the biggest issues of just being well? and still have that deep, internal, abiding sense of security that God is in control? Joy and persecution? Jesus said in one of the Beatitudes, 
Blessed are those who are persecuted. Man, you're counted in a, in a company of the greats when you're persecuted, he said. Joy and, and failure? Can you absolutely fall down on your face in failure to do something perhaps you swore you'd never do again or something that you should have known better and still have joy? Absolutely. Are you happy? No, you're not happy. Joy and poverty? Man, many of you have taken trips with us to India or Brazil or Nicaragua or Honduras, these places, and we get we become envious when we're there, don't we? We move about among these people who literally have nothing. And we see the joy that they have for the Lord. We see when it's time to worship God, there's nothing that holds them back from the most vibrant expressions of praise to God. Joy and depression... Absolutely. I have struggled with depression my whole life. There have been seasons where, and years even, where it's been a lot better. But the past four years, I have struggled with so much depression. Since the day that I went to India to ask God to raise up my friend, A. Stephen, and ended up preaching his funeral, I have struggled with depression. I have sought treatment for this depression. I have tried medication for this depression. And in the world of depression, if you've never experienced it, there's a tendency to say, how could you be depressed, Tom? Look around you. Look what you have. Look at the family that loves you. Look at the church that loves you. Look at what God has done in your life. And you may say that to me, but you're going to have to get in line because I have said that to myself every day that I wake up in that state. Nobody knows what I'm talking about here, right? Depression is not something that ever touches my joy. There have been days in a row where I have stayed home from work. I have used personal time to stay in a dark room in my house three days at a time. And I wondered if this would ever change. And in the midst of that depression, I always noticed that I had never lost my joy. My happiness was nowhere to be found. I have I am married to a girl who will do anything for me to help me find happiness but when there is nothing in her hand to do 
But I noticed in the midst of that that I never, ever, ever once doubted God, doubted my relationship with God, doubted the reality of heaven, doubted even that God was in control. It became worse after I went over my handlebars and cracked my head open. Apparently there's a connection. And even in that, I became persuaded that God had me. That God had me as I went over those handlebars. God had me as I laid on that track bleeding. God had me and appointed somebody to find me. God had me. Well, if God always has me, then I can always have an internal sense of deep abiding confidence that he's always in control, right? And that's joy. I hope that comes as an encouragement, just in case there's anybody else in the room that ever struggles with depression. Probably not. I debated whether I wanted to be that forthcoming, but I just have a feeling it was meant to say those things in hopes that it would give somebody in the room a chance to focus on something in the dark night of the soul other than your lack of happiness. Joy and hopelessness, false. Joy is the deep abiding sense of assurance that God is in control. That's hope. That's hope when the lights are off that the light is coming, right? Who knows what I'm talking about? Help me out here a little bit. Joy and hopelessness, when one becomes hopeless, one has lost their joy. What is the answer? Cheer up, men! No, the answer is to abide in the Spirit, is to pursue the Spirit, is to do the things you know to do that bring you into the proximity of God through His Holy Spirit. Because joy is a fruit of the Spirit. The shepherds were filled with joy. I find it interesting because perhaps unbeknown to them, they were potentially about to be unemployed. You know what they were doing out there? They were keeping watch over the Passover sheep, over the sacrificial lambs. Had the message of Jesus caught on, there would have never been another need for another lamb. They would have been unemployed, and they were filled with joy. (laughs) Joy is something deeper than happiness. It's part of the transformational process of Jesus. Maybe some of you can relate to the minding your own business, to terrified, oh my God, it's God to the investigating, I am going to check this out until I am satisfied that it is either true or false. One of the things that Dan Trout said to me some time back, the man we laid to rest yesterday, was he said, you know, Tom, I don't always believe everything that you say, but I always believe that you believe everything that you say. And he spent his life checking it out. 
and found a portion of it to be true, as it turns out. Investigate. Go after it. Go after it, man. Lift up your hands to the Lord. Let your heart sing to the Lord. Get on your face and pray to the Lord. Don't wallow in hopelessness. Find your joy. Find your joy by abiding in the Spirit. That's where your joy will be found. It's the only place it will be found. So what do we do to access this joy? Do I just decide to be joyful? Not at all. You focus on the Lord. You look past your circumstances. Colossians 1 says, Since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Lift up your heads, man. (laughs) By intentionally celebrating the truth of God, you find your joy. The triumph of God, you find your joy. Functioning on a substantially deeper than circumstantial level, you'll find your joy. Will I still be poor? Will I still be depressed? Will I still be sick? Maybe. But here's a little back door on that. The best way to change your circumstances is to increase your faith. The best way to increase your faith is to find your joy the deep, abiding sense of confidence that God's in control. Will I still be hopeless? Absolutely not. Because joy and hopelessness cannot exist together. Beloved, isn't it kind of a relief to know that we're called to joy, that that's the distinguishing mark, that we're not assigned as Christians to figure out how to be perpetually happy? That there's a difference? Isn't it a relief to know that the struggles that you have are normal, that they're biblical, that they're part of the human experience, even the redeemed human experience? Isn't it a relief to know that it's okay for you to have those days, but it's just not okay for you to lose your joy? I find that very comforting. Let's celebrate the triumph of God. Father, we just come to you this morning and uh, we're grateful for the truth of your word and the power of your word and we're thankful for the example of the shepherds who allowed themselves to be terrified, who motivated themselves to check it out and who found joy. And they came rejoicing, praising God and telling everybody of the things that they had seen and heard which were just as they had been told. Father, I pray for us this morning that as we move into our time of powerful response to you, that your Holy Spirit will be welcome to come here to to heal us, to touch us, to bless us, to lift us from places of depression, Father, and to lift us from places of disease, to lift us from places of weakness, Lord, and to transform it into your power. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to come now. And as we just celebrate your triumph and celebrate your victory, I pray that you would engage us by the Spirit so that that fruit of joy can naturally emerge and we can go through this season and the months ahead and the years ahead ahead, always knowing that nothing can separate us from your love, that neither height nor depth, neither angels or demons, neither life or death, neither peril or sword or famine or nakedness can separate us from your love. 
and you draw us into that place so that we can celebrate your victory, celebrate your triumph, and as a result, just be bearers of the fruit of joy in the deepest places in our lives. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand with me, church? Let's celebrate the victory of the Lord.